So 11 days till Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Christmas is such an interesting time. And uh, for some people, it's just so much joy and enthusiasm and fun and family stuff that's great. And some are hurting and some are grieving because they've lost loved ones recently. And so the holidays kind of bring that pain to the top. So I just encourage all of us to be praying for those that we know who are hurting, struggling, difficult things going on. The holidays aren't always a lot of fun for, for some. And yet the Lord has something for each one of us, right where we're at. He knows. So let's pray as we uh, get ready to look into his, his Word and by His Spirit hear His voice this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, everyone who's here, and Lord, you know exactly what the need is of every heart and, and how to meet the need of every heart. Lord, we really need to hear from you today, so we ask by your Spirit you will speak to us and that we will listen well and you will help us respond uh, in a way that would bring us the greatest joy and bring you the greatest glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And this is the season of Christmas carols. You can hear them. You can sing them. So I thought it would be fun to start with a little quiz this morning and check your uh, Christmas carol knowledge, okay? So I'm going to give you a line from a famous Christmas carol and ask you to fill in the missing word. Here we go, number one. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her. Okay. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn. Very good. Noel, 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 born is the of Israel. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? This, this is Christ the you guys are good, really good. I don't know if you picked up, there's a theme running through these. It's really interesting to me how many of the Christmas carols share this theme about Jesus being king. And I find it very interesting that we Americans, every year at this time, Americans whose nation was founded in rebellion against a king... Every year at this time, sing praises celebrating a king. We honor the birth at Christmas of the one who was born to be the greatest, the most powerful, the most authoritative king of all time. And we Americans who are officially against kingship sing songs celebrating this king. I think that's interesting. Or maybe, could it be, we're just singing words without really thinking about what they actually mean. Because if the Christmas carols are right, if Jesus was born actually to be king of our lives, then that has large implications for every one of us. Because you see, 
there can really be only one king in each person's life. I can't be king of my life and, and Jesus be king of my life at the same time. I can't be king of my household as much as I might like that. I can't be king of my household and Jesus be king of my household at the same time. In each person's life, there really can only be one ultimate throne, one ultimate authority, one who has the final say. And if Jesus was born to be that person in my life, that has, that has very large implications. That's really the main issue in our Bible passage for today. It tells us that Jesus was born to be king, so how are you going to respond to that? And in these verses we're about to read, we're going to see three different responses, responses of three different people, three different groups of people. And look carefully, because one of these responses is going to describe you and me. And the big question for us is, is that the right response? Is that a good response? Is that the appropriate response? So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 down through 16. So you follow along in your Bible, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The words will be up on the screen as well. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, the religious leaders, the experts of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. It's a question. How do you respond to King Jesus? That's the question this story raises, and it's a big question, as I said. And there are really three alternatives And they're spelled out in this story. And I know this is going to sound like an overstatement, probably. But I'm absolutely serious. Whichever of those three choices you make will be the most important choice you ever make. may not feel like it today. It may not seem like it today. But I guarantee a day is coming when this choice will matter more than any other. So we really need to look carefully at these three alternatives, at these three responses. So response number one to Jesus the King, you can gladly honor him as king. Gladly honor him like the wise men, the magi. We don't really know very much about these guys. They just sort of show up. We know they came from the east, probably from somewhere around Babylon, which a trip from Babylon to Jerusalem was a trip over land of about 800 miles. They weren't Jewish. Somehow, though, they expected a king to be born in the land of Israel. And why did they expect that? Well, nobody knows for sure. Personally, here's what I think. I think they, they learned that, they got that expectation from the prophet Daniel. Um, hundreds of years earlier, the Jewish people had been sent into exile into Babylon. And there the prophet Daniel, um, he was exiled to Babylon. He became a royal advisor to the king of Babylon and... He was inspired by God to give one of the most detailed prophecies we have of the coming Messiah. And now it's hundreds of years later, and I think that expectation from Daniel has been passed down to these men, who were also royal advisors of some kind, and then they see some kind of sign in the sky, we don't know what that was either, and they come to the conclusion, it's happened. The Messiah has been born. It's a lot of mystery here, but somehow they know. They know the greatest king of all has now been born. And they respond. They go. It's a long trip, but they go. And they search. And they bring gifts. And they bow down in worship. They revere him. They do homage to him. They 
honor him as king. And here's the thing we have to really get. They do it gladly. They do it gladly. Why is that important? Because, see, you can do everything that they did. We can do that. We can, we can go. We can bring gifts. We can even bow down. And we can do all of that without our hearts being in it. We can just do it outwardly because we think we have to. You can do that. You can go to church. We can sing the songs. We can listen to that guy. And we can even go through all the motions of worship and just do it outwardly and look like we're honoring the king. You know, powerful kings can force people to bow down who don't really want to, but that's not these guys. They really want to. How do you know that? Well, because we get a glimpse of their heart attitude. When they're on their way to Bethlehem, and it says they see the star again. In verse 10 it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You, you get the emphasis there? They didn't just say they saw the star. In fact, in the original language it's really interesting because there's four words in a row that just pile up. It says they rejoiced. They rejoiced a joy. They rejoiced a joy, a great one. They rejoiced a joy, a great one, exceedingly. In other words, they were pumped. Okay? They are, they are excited. They're thrilled. They are really happy about this. They can't wait to see this king. They can't wait to give him their gifts. They can't wait to bow down to him and worship him. They're not just acknowledging Jesus as king. They are honoring him gladly. As their king. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone joyfully embrace a king to rule over their lives? As I said, I mean, our, our nation, our government was originally set up the way it was. If you know your history, things were set up the way they were to prevent a king. To prevent anybody from having too much power and ruling over it. So it was designed to limit power intentionally. So why would we willingly bow down to this king and say, Yes, King Jesus, rule over my life. Be in charge. Tell me what to do. Show me how to live. Every detail, I want you to reign over me. Why would we do that? To be happy. To know the deepest, most enduring, most satisfying happiness we are capable of. That's what we were made for. Our problem with kingship is not that there's something inherently wrong with kingship. You know what our problem in this world is? Is that the kings of this world, the rulers of this world, the leaders of this world aren't good enough. They're not nearly good enough. They might be able to rule a country imperfectly, but they're not good enough to rule over our lives. 
They don't know enough. They don't care enough. They're not strong enough. They're not righteous enough that we should give them absolute authority over all of our lives. And you know what? You aren't either. And I'm not either. We're not good enough to rule our own lives. We need somebody to lead our lives who always knows what's best. We need someone who always wants what's best. We need someone who always can make what's best happen. That's not us. That someone is Messiah, period. I want you to look at a description of him in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This really tells us why we should honor King Jesus with gladness, with joy. Okay, Look what it says about him. He is the image of the invisible God. That is, he's the invisible God made visible. He's the firstborn over all creation. That's a title of authority. For by him, notice, for, he has that position, because by him all things were created. In other words, he knows what's best for you because he made you. Things in, he, all things by him were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is how powerful he is. He has the power. He can do whatever he chooses to do. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's perfect because all of God's perfection is in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He died to give you peace. He died to reconcile you. He died to make you right with God forever. That's who he is. You know what the right response to this one is? It's to honor him with a glad heart. With a joyful heart. So why doesn't everybody do that? The short answer, you could probably think of a lot of reasons. Uh, the short answer is uh, it's because we're rebellious. We, we, we've been rebellious. We rebelled at the very beginning. We've been rebelling ever since. You know, that's why Jesus came, it says, to reconcile us. Why? Well, because there's a problem. You don't reconcile friends. You reconcile enemies. You re- reconcile relationships that are broken. And our relationship with our Creator is broken. And Jesus came to reconcile, to make peace through His death on the cross. Because left to ourselves, we're enemies of the King. And that really brings us to the second possible response. Okay, so you can honor Him gladly as King, or you can completely reject Him. Like 
King Herod. Herod. Quite a contrast from the wise men. Wise men go to all this trouble to come and find the king and gladly honor him. Herod goes to a lot of trouble to try to kill him. He despises the Messiah. And when he can't identify him specifically in order to kill him, he kills a whole bunch of other people, dozens and dozens of other children. Why? Why does he hate King Jesus so much? Because he's king, and he wants to go on being king, and he doesn't want anybody else to be king. In fact, we know from history, Herod had a lot of people killed. He killed a a number of young men. The reason he killed them, they were his sons. And he had a number of his wives killed as well. Out of fear that they would conspire together to do something to remove him from power. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, under whom Herod served, Caesar... (laughs) He once said, you'd be better off being one of Herod's pigs than being one of his sons, because you'd have a better chance of survival. Now, I'm sure you don't know anybody who's gone to these lengths to keep the true king from ruling over their lives, but you do know people who reject him completely, who hate, who hate the idea of God telling them what to do. Because left to ourselves, uh, we don't really want that. We don't really want God telling us what to do. Um, And the thing is about rebels, not all rebels look like rebels. I don't know what you think of when you think of a rebel, you know, some wild-eyed anarchist or something. A lot of rebels actually look pretty nice. They look respectable, might even go to church. But make no mistake, they're in charge. They're in charge, not God. And that's how they want it. So God, you can just get lost, because I'm king. I one time heard a speech by William Murray. William Murray is the son of the famous atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hara. I don't know if you've heard of her. She was the one who pretty much led the legal charge to get prayer and public schools tossed out. And William Murray grew up in this very, very uh, aggressively atheist home and got to know a lot of atheists. And he said, this was very interesting, he has since become a believer in Jesus And he said that based on his observation and the people that he knew and the people that he talked to, uh, he said the real reason he thought that people became atheists was not that they were convinced by solid, rational, philosophical arguments that God doesn't exist, but because they wanted to live in a way that they knew God wouldn't approve of. They reject the king because they want to be king. And the very idea of joyfully bowing down to King Jesus disgusts them. I'm guessing most of you are probably not in that camp or you wouldn't be here today. 
It's possible. But there is one, there's a third response here. And I have to tell you, this is the one that troubles me the most. You can gladly honor the king like the Magi. You can completely reject him like Herod. Or you can politely ignore him like the religious leaders. Let me tell you why this one worries me. It worries me because these are people, I, I just, I worry that there may be people in churches all across our nation who really are basically in this camp. These are people who know their Bibles. These are people who know all about God. And they think they're okay. They think they're fine. They know God has promised to send the Messiah. They know where he will be born because they know what the prophet says. And these guys, they know that the Magi are in town. They've heard this. It says all Jerusalem was troubled. They all have heard that they're out looking for the Messiah. And they actually come up with the answer, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they know the Magi are on their way to go. And they've got all this knowledge. They're very religious. And what do these nice religious people do with all that they know? Absolutely nothing. They don't go. They don't send anybody to check it out. They just go back to reading their Bibles and being spiritual and learning facts about God that make absolutely no difference in how they live. For all of their talk about God, they don't really want Him to rule over their lives. They like it the way it is. They've got their lives set up the way they like. It's nice and religious, but they don't want God being in charge. They don't want some Messiah showing up and telling them how to live. And this this really bothers me because this tells me it's possible to know the truth about Christ. It's possible to tell others the truth about Christ. It's possible even to profess a belief in Christ. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I believe in the Messiah. I believe he'll be born in Bethlehem. I know all about that. That's what the Bible says, and I believe what the Bible says. It's possible to know the truth. It's possible to teach the truth. It's possible to profess a belief in the truth and still not honor Jesus as king of your life. Because for all your talk, you're the king. You're on the throne. You get the final say. You're still king. I, I don't know how else to explain the fact that there are so many people in our country who say they believe in Jesus, but actually live as if he doesn't exist. And they say Jesus is king, but they live as if he's not. Because his kingship makes no practical difference. They think, they act, they make choices just like people who don't say Jesus is king. The way they spend their money. The way they do their jobs. The way they think about relationships and sex. The way they raise their kids. The way they treat their parents. The way they spend their time. The way they recreate. None of it, none of it looks very different from people who don't claim allegiance to Jesus. Despite what they say, 
they don't really seek him. They don't really treasure him. They don't really gladly embrace him as king. They pretty much ignore him. It's, it's just all talk. And here's what's so scary about this. When you come right down to it, ignoring him is just as deadly as completely rejecting him. Because no matter what you say, if Jesus isn't king of your life, that means you're king of your life, and that will eventually destroy you. You can't ignore him forever. These same religious leaders who ignored his birth, who didn't bother to go, who looked like really good and decent people, who looked very religious, knew all the right things to say. I mean, they didn't look anything like the murderer Herod. I mean, everybody reads this story and goes, ugh, Herod. He's horrible. He's awful. I mean, these people didn't look anything like Herod. And yet these same people eventually would stand in the mob and cry out, crucify him. We don't want him ruling over our lives. Get him out of here. Matthew 27, 42. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Sure, let him come down now from that cross and we will believe him. And he didn't come down from the cross because he wasn't seeking to save himself. He was seeking to save us. First Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners who ignore him. Sinners who reject him. Sinners who've rebelled against the only truly good king who is able to lead our lives and wants to lead our lives for our joy. So, which of those three responses do you think most closely resembles you? That's the question for us to contemplate. And I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute and think about it. And as you consider these three responses, just be honest. And do you gladly honor him as your king? I know many of you do. And I, I just want to say this because I'm sure that there are those who are in this camp but who struggle greatly and feel guilty because they don't think they honor him gladly enough. And that's true. We don't gladly honor him enough. Honoring him as your king doesn't mean you never struggle with following his leadership. Because if it meant that, if it meant you never struggle, if you never have issues, if you never... Uh, 
still have this uh, tendency to rebel at times, well, then you'd be sinless, and I haven't met anybody like that yet. So honoring him as your king gladly doesn't mean you never struggle with following his leadership because ruling over our lives is a deeply ingrained habit. But, but when you're in your right mind, you realize Jesus came to save sinners and you're a sinner and you know it. And so you've put your trust in him to save you. And really, you want him to be supreme in everything. You want him to be your greatest treasure and joy, even when you struggle with that. Deep down, you want that. You gladly honor him as your king. You want him to rule. Or do you completely reject him? If the truth were known deep down inside, you really can't stand the thought of Jesus telling you what to do and how to live. And if that's you, let me ask you this. Is that how you want to continue to respond? Or do you want to have a different heart? Do you want to have a different heart that honors him gladly? Because if you want a different heart, I just want to urge you, ask him for it. Ask him. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save good people. He came to save sinners. He came to save rebels. He came to save people who are messed up, who are you know, antagonistic and, and hostile. He can save you if you want a different heart, one that honors him. Ask him. Or do you just politely, nicely ignore him? When you hear the good news of Messiah's coming, and you hear, you, you know how to nod your head in all the right places. You know the right things to say. But truly, deep down inside, you just kind of go, whatever. It really doesn't make any difference. And the question for you is is that how you want to continue to respond? Or do you want him to change you? Do you want him to save you? Three responses. Which one looks like you? Or actually, the more important question is, which one do you want to look like? I'm just going to give everybody a quiet moment. God knows your heart. You talk to him. And if this is the first time you've heard any of this, maybe your thing to say is, wow, I don't know what to do with any of this. Lord, I just, if you're there and you can hear me, help me understand. If you're rebel and you don't want to be, tell him. If you're ignoring him and you don't want to ignore him anymore, tell him. He's the Savior. He came to rule over your life for your good. Will you put your trust in him? If you want to, tell him. I'll give you a quiet moment and I'll pray here in just a minute.